0: Patent filings in the area of rare diseases suggest government incentives have worked to spur innovation, according to a new report from the international intellectual property firm Marks & Clerk. The report examines patent filings in the area of rare diseases, antibiotics, and vaccines. We spoke to Gareth Williams, a partner and European patent attorney with Marks & Clerk, about the report, the role Big Pharma is playing and some surprises on the list of top filers of rare disease-related patents. Gareth, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. In your recent report on the life sciences, you looked at the patent landscape for rare diseases, antibiotics, and vaccines. I want to focus on the rare disease space, but contrast it to what you're seeing in those other areas. But first... How good a proxy for innovation is patent activity? What does it tell us?
1: Well, as a first sort of starting position, then I think it is a reasonably good proxy for innovation because when you get innovative companies making new products, they will file patent applications. I think it it doesn't necessarily reflect the actual marketplace, clearly, because we, all we take is the raw filing data and the number of patents granted. We don't look at how many patents remain in force for a certain period of time, which they will if they're protecting products, or even whether any products covered by the patent ever actually get to market. So it's a rough and ready measure, I think, rather than a strictly accurate measure, but it does give a good indication. I think that there is one caveat that I would say is that in some countries, then so there can be government incentives just to file patents or part of your Ranking in certain league tables is based on the number of patents you filed. And again, so they would be additional drivers for filing patent applications, regardless of whether they're innovative or not. So you need to take some of the numbers with a bit of caution, but on the whole, I think it reflects what's going on in, in the research space.
0: The rare disease space has seen governments put into place significant incentives to encourage the development of therapeutics for rare diseases. And I know you didn't necessarily correlate this, but what does it suggest about the impact these incentives have had on rare disease drug development what what's your sense of the role incentives have played in boosting innovation in this area
1: I think it the, the data does show us it plays a, a very important role I just say obviously we, we didn't specifically correlate government incentives with numbers of patents filed, but if you take contrast the rare diseases space with the antibiotic sector, then there are Significantly more patent families filed in the rare disease space than there are in antibiotics, and that's despite the fact that you would naturally expect the rare disease market to be a lot smaller. So I think these incentives do reward investment; they do reward innovation in the in the field. I, the other the other telling point I think, is that in the, we've done these life sciences reports for several years now, and usually, regardless sector we're looking at within life sciences, Chinese patent filings come up fairly highly. There are a significant number of patent applications filed in China in those sectors. In the rare diseases space, then China is actually further down the list of filings than other countries, such as the US, Europe, Japan, Canada, and Australia. And each of those five have government incentives for rare disease research. Whereas China doesn't yet have orphan awesome drug legislation in the same sense that those those other five countries do, I, I think that does show that government incentives do work and do help promote R and D into this sector.
0: How different are the incentives in in the the various countries?
1: They well they're fairly well aligned. Uh, obviously, as you would expect, when the, the aim is to promote harmonization and to promote research into these rare diseases which do affect those you know, significant numbers of people in the US and Europe and Japan. So on the whole, you get up to 10 years of market exclusivity, and that's regardless of your patent status. So it doesn't matter whether you file a patent application or not, but it, it does give you some market exclusivity and incentive to get in the market. And then in other countries, in, like in each country, it varies slightly, but on the whole, you may get financial assistance or assistance in navigating the regulatory requirements. So they will give you uh, protocol assistance for preparing a submission for getting through the approval process. So it it is a a fairly significant package of support.
0: Well, there was a fall-off of activity with the economic downturn in 2008. What's happened since then?
1: That's true. I think the overall trend is really... So we looked at numbers of patent families filed, which is essentially one innovation for which you may file patents in a lot of different countries. And the number of families fell slightly during the economic downturn, but it's rising again now, so it's back to the sort of pre sort of back to 2006, 2007 levels. So I think on all that effectively remains steady, but with a, a dip due to the financial pressures. What has changed is the total number of applications filed. So I said that you, the one patent family may include applications that are lost in a lot of different countries. The data looks to show that the number of countries in which these applications have been filed has been stopping. So the total number of filings is half from 2006 up to 2013-14. To and that just reflects that people are focusing their investment in the patent to where they expect to have a market. So where they might have filed in 20 different countries. Now they're only filing in
0: five or six. How does it compare to what you've seen in antibiotics and vaccines? And and have the more recent incentives to encourage development in these areas had time to reflect any increase in activity?
1: I think in antibiotics, there hasn't been time to to see an increase in activity. Certainly, we haven't seen an increase in activity. Uh, So, yeah, I think the, the, the experience of the rare diseases does suggest government incentives actually work. I think given the significant political momentum now behind finding novel antibiotics and beyond dealing with the issues of antibiotic resistance, I think that there will be a push towards getting some more financial incentives and even non-financial incentives. And that will hopefully have an effect on where the research is coming in the next few years.
0: One of the surprises to me was the role Big Pharma is playing on the patent landscape in the area of rare diseases, particularly because I think of innovation coming from smaller biotechs. What does this reflect?
1: I think you're right that it's surprising, because it's in my my expectation before we started this is that it would be the smaller, innovative biotechs that, they are founded to deal with one or two specific rare diseases. And like that. But in fact, it's, yeah, it does look to be Big Pharma who's driving the research. Um, I guess it, it could just be a numbers game. Obviously, the top filers are going to be the biggest companies, and um, but it is Big Pharma who's driving it in rare diseases. Or it may be that they go into collaboration with other smaller companies and uh, license in or buy in the IT and then continue to develop it themselves. But I think, I guess, you need a heavy financial backing to get the market. With, with rare diseases or with any biotech innovation. And I guess this probably just reflects the, the power that these companies have in the R&D space.
0: And, and you know, I, I, I was wondering whether it was a, a numbers game, but you don't see the same when you look at the list of antibiotics and vaccines. They look quite differently in terms of Big Pharma's presence. W- what does that tell you?
1: Yes, you're right. It, it, it also, What does it tell us? It, it tells us that Big recognizes that this is a market it should be in. And big pharma also has other incentives to try to promote rare research and try to encourage that. A lot of them funded for institutes or research divisions devoted to rare diseases. So I think it just shows that when when the financial muscle gets behind it, then R&D can benefit, regardless of whether this comes from big pharma or government incentives. So the combination right, promotes, promotes innovation. Today.
0: Well, I I think the biggest surprise on the rare disease list is the cosmetic maker L'Oreal, which came in at number 11 in in terms of patent filings. What are they doing? Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Well, that did flag up a question mark in our research as well. Uh, Having looked more closely at the data, it looks like they are still focused on the cosmetic industry, but a lot of cosmetic treatments or therapies may have some applications in, say, dermatology or rare skin diseases or other disorders which might be impacted there. So I think they're they're doing the research for cosmetic reasons, and they're filing patent applications, which are just drafted broadly enough to capture other potential applications. I I don't necessarily think they are involved in rare disease research as such.
0: Well, there, there are only three universities on the top 20 list of patent filers in the rare disease space. Is that surprising?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Again, I would have expected in rare diseases being a smaller marketplace or a smaller sector, you would get a lot of the early stage research coming out of universities. And again, that happens to a greater extent in the other sectors, say vaccines or antibiotics. There are more universities or more government funded research agencies. Um, what does that tell us about innovation? I think, again, the universities aren't so concerned about the financial incentives or the financial rewards. In order to get into the rare diseases space, it does take a lot of investment to get a product to market. So perhaps they're just not concentrating on the, the relevant early stage research. we trying to focus on more fundamental platform technologies or other things which are more applicable in, in the other sectors.
0: Well, any outlook on how you expect to see activity change in the years ahead in these three areas?
1: I think rare, rare diseases, as long as the incentives are there, then people will continue to innovate. I think it will be interesting to see if and when China or other large industrial countries bring in similar incentives because that affects the filing patterns in that particular country and whether we get any companies coming out of China in the rare disease space. Uh, in antibiotics, I hope that there will be government incentives and that they will spur innovation, both in new antibiotics and existing antibiotics, um, purely because yeah, the antibiotic resistance issue is a significant public health need. So we need some form of coordination and government incentives. In in vaccines, I think vaccines are an interesting case because there is really a a guaranteed marketplace once you get your your vaccine approved. Research will continue. I think the the new trend in in vaccines is for therapeutic vaccines, say, against specific cancers rather than the prophylactic vaccines. I think we'll see more innovation and patent filings in that sector. So
0: Gareth Williams, Partner and European Patent Attorney with Marks & Clerk. Gareth, thanks as always.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.